Welcome to Secret Sauce for Success, show number 19. Hi, everybody. You have tuned in to the Secret Sauce for Success show, where we strive to find the secret ingredients that lead to success. We interview successful guests every week and learn their secret to their success. We sincerely hope you implement these habits into your life and become the best you that you can be. Enjoy the show. What's going on, everybody? It's Rick Stahl, host of the Secret Sauce for Success show, live from beautiful Colorado here with my co-host, Doug Kirstein. What is going on, Doug? What's going on, Rick? As always, it's good to be with you tonight. I'm glad to uh, to be a part of this podcast, especially when we have such interesting people that we're talking to. I guess I say that every week. But this week was a real treat. Jeff really, really is an energetic fellow. Man, he sure brought the juice. He really did. It, it really makes me want to be a better speaker after listening to this guy. Right? Absolutely. It's interesting that the, uh, the crossover that we see between just successful people, it doesn't matter whether they're real estate developers or public speakers or coaches or doctors or lawyers or whatever they are. Successful people have some traits in common, which I guess is why we have the secret sauce to success here. That's right. Do you have a quote for the week? I do. I think that this is a really interesting quote because uh, this is not a real estate specific or money specific type of quote. It's a quote that comes from a fellow named John Wooden. And he says, things work out the best for those who make the best of how things work out. I think that's really an interesting quote because it's kind of like life is what you make of it. I've been telling my son this, my older son, he's been talking about going to college and he's not sure where he wants to go and he's feeling the weight of these decisions. And the advice that I gave him is, Make your decision based on the best information you have. And then when you get there, make the best of the situation. Do everything that you can to make that the best experience that you can make it. And then it'll be a good experience no matter what it is. I think that's it. Now, people, Good things happen to people who make the best of the things that happen. Absolutely. Totally agree. Let's not hold the listeners in more suspense here. And let's get to the interview with Jeff Davenport. Let's do it. All right. Uh, today we have a special guest with us, Jeff Davenport. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, we're glad to have you, Jeff. It's good of you to take a little time for us. Happy to. Jeff and I go way back, all of uh, <laughs> two months, I think, uh, when the, me and my daughter were out in the neighborhood buying lemonade and bought some uh, lemonade from his daughters and got chatting and found out Jeff is a professional speaker. Is that the correct title? Yes, I'd say professional speaker, but really more salient to this is I'm a delivery coach. I work with people who give some sort of public speaking and I coach them on being better at public speaking. Okay. So can you just give us like a minute summary or maybe that was your summary right there? What do you do for a living? What, what do you do now? What does what your typical day consist of? You got it. Uh, for the last seven and a half years, I have, uh, well, actually about seven years, I've been working for a great organization called Duarte Communications out in Santa Clara, California, and they are the preeminent communication consulting company. They do all sorts of wonderful communication uh, work with big, giant corporations. And while I was there, I became a speechwriter for a number of executives, as well as their speaker coach. So when there would be executives, a lot of CEOs who had to talk to sometimes 10, 20,000 people, I was the guy coaching them and going, all right, here's what you need to do. You need to stand over here. And when you make this point, you need to move your hands like this. Your voice isn't modulating enough. You got to work on this. And so I would work with whether it was CEO level people or all the way down the line, it could have just been, you know, your average uh, team member who just wanted to speak better in a team meeting at work. Uh, I, I, I learned my chops over those seven years at Duarte. And in the last month, I've, I've left uh, Duarte, love that company, have nothing but positive things to say uh, to start my own company. It's called uh, Lighthouse Point Communications. And I am a speaker coach for hire. And I run workshops to help people improve their public speaking. So that my day-to-day -day right now is I'm networking, talking with people, working with organizations to help them sharpen their communications message, but also uh, helping individuals improve how they communicate the ideas they need to communicate. Wow. Okay. Can we take you back to high school, to middle school? How did you end up as a speaker coach? 
I, I love telling this story only because uh, I, I, I would say I transformed. Uh, I'm not exaggerating when I say I was the shyest kid in my high school. No uh, way. And, yeah, I, I, I tell people I was voted least likely to be remembered. I, I was a wallflower. Uh, I, I was, I'm not exaggerating, socially awkward, very challenging to be around. And the idea of talking to uh, really talking to one person, let alone 10 or 20, was just incredibly intimidating to me. So uh, into, that lasted into college, and something in me thought, I want to get past this. I want to just try to get a little bit better at communicating. And I remember it, it, to this day, it, it confuses me how I made this decision because it was so contrary to who I was. But I uh, got a job at the campus radio station as a uh, sports reporter. And I and also, I didn't know anything about sports, so that didn't help matters. Uh, but I was the worst campus radio station sports reporter you ever heard. And I, in, while I was doing that, I started to get interested in all sorts of media. And uh, I, at the time, I was at the University of Texas, and I transferred to Baylor University, which is in Waco. I grew up in, in Houston. And I went to Baylor University and transferred and changed my major. And I thought, I'm not going to be a business major. You know what I want to do? I want to study radio, television, and film. And so I doubled down on this and became a, I, I say professional DJ, but if you know the world of DJs, that's not exactly big money. I was a professional DJ, and I really started to focus more on screenwriting. I'll give you the shorter version of all this, but I'm after graduation, I moved to Los Angeles uh, to attend uh, University of Southern California and got my MFA in screenwriting and studied at the film school there and started living a life of screenwriting, trying to become a screenwriter. And it was a hard world trying to break into that. Wow. What, what exactly is screenwriting? Yeah. Uh, screenwriting is writing the script for either a television show or a movie. And oh, okay. so I was just, I would write TV, I would write what they call spec episodes of television shows, trying to get a job on a television show, or uh, mostly what I focused on were feature films. So I was writing uh, feature films about, oh, this, that, and the other, and trying to get those things noticed. At the same time, I was really involved in a couple of churches out in Los Angeles, and I didn't want to go work at a church. I never felt like I'm a man of the cloth. That's not my interest, but I liked attending and I liked being there. And somehow over time, I ended up becoming at a couple of churches, the go-to teaching guy. Like, hey, we got a thing. You're not the main guy, but you're one of our guys. Can you go teach this thing? All right. So I started doing more and more public speaking, ended up getting a job as a uh, pastor for college students out in Malibu. California. And yeah. it was a great gig. And I talked to hundreds of kids every week. And all of this to say my public speaking, uh, I guess, for lack of better term, platform grew and grew. Moved out to Colorado, met a, met a, met a wonderful woman, grabbed her. We moved to Colorado. It wasn't against her will. She came with me and we got married and we've lived here for the last 15 years. Once I moved to Colorado, I was doing more and more public speaking, and I actually got some TV movies produced that were on NBC. They're not the greatest movies in the world, but they were produced. What are and, they? No, uh, oh, they're these little family-friendly movies that nobody's seen. One's called The Jensen Project. One's called, oh, what is it, like Secrets of the Mountain. There's a football one in there. If you go okay. look at them up, you'll, you'll, you'll realize just how uh, low budget they were. <laughs> but it got me in the Writers Guild, so that was great. All of this to say... There was a confluence of things. There was a confluence of public speaking and there was a confluence of storytelling and writing. And when I discovered, my wife actually discovered the job at Duarte, that was a job that, that asked for someone who understood the mechanics of public speaking, writing and storytelling. And she went, this is a really weird job and this is your brand of weird. And so I applied and that's how I got the job. I, I still do public speaking. I speak at a number of churches and a, a number of other uh, situations around town and beyond. So I still try to do public speaking so that I can keep track of, oh, this is what it's like to be in front of a group and actually enjoy it and want to continue to get better, but also trying to take what I've learned about as best you can, how to succeed at public speaking and apply that to anybody, but then also bringing that script writing and that storytelling element into how do you craft a presentation or even a story that you're telling within a conversation like this that actually grabs people and makes them want to listen. I just dumped out a lot on you guys. Forgive me. No, no, perfect. That's a great story.
I love how you tell it with gusto and uh, there's no pauses for thinking about it. It's just all (laughs) right there. It's great. (laughs) I I think uh, one of the things I've learned in my life is, uh, and I don't think I'm unique in this. I just don't want to be bored. And so I'm always thinking who's listening to this, who's watching this webinar, who's doing whatever. And I think, I just don't want them bored. And so if I've got to do a somersault to keep them interested, I'll do that. If I can lean into storytelling, uh, communicate my own personal story, stories of others, I just by gum don't want anybody bored. Oh, I hear you. I, you know, I work as an engineer during the day and we go to some of these meetings and they're very boring. I'm like, oh my goodness, is there anything I can do to spice it up, make charts a little more exciting? And so I, I, I'm with you there. How can I, how can Doug, how can you become a better speaker, storyteller? Mm-hmm. Where, where do you even begin? I think you first, you start with, a, with an honest assessment of yourself. And I think you try to really get a good sense of how am I as a speaker? Because most people go, oh, I'm just terrible. I'm the worst. I doubt it. I, I, believe me, I've seen the worst. You're not that. Uh, most people have some amount of skill level. And the problem is we get a lot of false negatives because you get into a room that's high stakes and everyone's charged up and you go, oh, I just kind of collapsed and my confidence went out the window. Okay, fair enough. But I bet when you were sitting across from a buddy telling a story about your day, something in you came to life. You have this gear within you. I just want to help you get to a point where you can tap into that gear, even when you're not uh, when you're in not in a casual environment. So I think the first thing is just get an honest assessment of yourself. How actually am I? Uh, gosh, you know what? I actually, shine when I'm telling about my day with my spouse, or I shine when I'm talking to my kids, or you know what? I really get super nervous when this one person is in the room. I encourage people just to just write down one page of thoughts about how am I currently as a public speaker? The other thing is, I think everybody is a public speaker. This idea, well, I don't give a TED talk and I don't talk in front of 10,000 people. Yeah, most people don't. I mean, that's a ti- that's, that's like the percentage of people who've gone to the moon. That's a tiny percentage of human beings, but all of us do some kind of public speaking. You're talking, so, you know, Rick, you're talking about uh, maybe a team meeting or something. That's public speaking. I even consider talking to your boss in a one-on-one, there's a public speaking element there. You're communicating with the idea that I want to come across in a way that engages the other person and makes them want to listen to me, that just makes them want to listen to me. So once you've got that baseline of, okay, how am I actually as a communicator? And what are my opportunities to communicate? I think then you can start to build the skill of communicating well. And there's a, there's a canard out there that, well, you know, some people are just born really good communicators. I don't buy that for a minute. And I think my own personal story might communicate that. Now, there may be some nature nurture that might allow you to uh, lean into that a little more easier than someone else. But I am telling you, everyone can grow in the skill of powerful communication. I've seen it over and over again across the years. Again, not only myself, but in a number of people I've worked with. I mean, you can take the most uh, introverted uh, forgive me, Rick, a- engineer who is just, uh, look, just give me my, give me my, uh, give me my data compass. <laughs> yeah, give me my data sheet and I'll just read my stuff. And English second language just feels very unconfident. I have seen guys like that take massive steps forward. They're usually a little bit, a little bit, a little bit over time. A number of years ago, I was working for a, a big giant, one of these big giant tech companies, like the, and I forgive me, like the nerdiest company you can work with. And I was working with just this kind of guy. And I thought, oh man, every session I had with this guy, I thought, I don't, I don't know if we're going to come out of this uh, without me falling asleep or with him not taking, I, he's not going to take any steps forward. But we worked at it, worked at it, worked at it, and finally had this big moment. It was at one of these big conferences where there's like 200 uh, breakout sessions, and he was delivering a breakout session about how to organize your WAN and your LAN, Wi-Fi technical things. This is what this guy was doing. And so I met with him uh, like the day before he was going to give his presentation. I'm like, all right, buddy, uh, let's give it a go. And I was thinking, oh, just, just, just stay focused, Jeff. Stay focused. And this guy got up there. And he killed it. I'm in the back of the room, standing up, like grabbing my head going, what has happened? And I went up to him after I go, buddy, what, what the heck? He goes, 
I just kind of all of a sudden took all the coaching and applied it. And did it work? Yes, it worked. Like you finally became the communicator you've been wanting to become. It was a great moment for me. I think it was a great moment for him because he had that realization. Uh, the penny dropped for him and he went, you know what? I can't improve. I can't improve. So I would say an accurate self-assessment and understanding that we all communicate. We all have opportunities to communicate better. And then a, a willingness to believe that you can improve. So many people might have the first two. It's the third one that's the hitch and the giddy up that keeps people from going, but I can improve. And I just want everybody to know, you can improve. You start taking a few steps forward. And even this, you will take a few steps forward and you'll get addicted to it. You'll get addicted to the improvement and you'll want to do more. You'll want to do more. You'll want to do more. So at college, I joined Toastmasters and it was really intimidating. I was so scared. But then after I made it through the first one where they just call on you randomly and you have to stand up and talk about whatever they pick for 30 seconds and I could do it. And finally, after like two semesters, I got to the point where I wasn't scared and I could just pull it off. And I'm like, yeah, so totally agree. It's really a, a life changer. It's like, yeah, I can do this. Yes. And if yeah. you get better at communicating, it opens so many doors. I mean, you, you become the kind of person who people want to listen to in a team meeting that your boss wants to listen to, that people want to listen to at a cocktail party, at a dinner party. Uh, Rick, when you talk about Toastmasters, one of the best things about Toastmasters is they just get you up there. Like you just got to get up there. You just got to do it. When I was uh, in Los Angeles, I was trying to make money at the time. I taught SAT prep courses for the Princeton Review. So we had all these tips and tricks for high school students and it's about how to get better at the SAT. But we found far and away the kids who did the best at the SAT were the ones who over and over took the test, took it 10, 20 practice test times over and over again, because what happened was they got less intimidated by the test itself. And I think it's the same with public speaking. Just do it as often as you can. Take every opportunity to get up in front of a group of people, even if you're uncomfortable, it will get the wiggles out of you and you'll get the, you'll get the, you'll get the nerves to go down and then you can start to build. But you really can't do that unless you're getting your reps in. Very good. I think it's really interesting too. This is a, a, a point that I've made in a lot of different forums, whether it's, uh, it's communication between professional people or just people in general, for example, something much broader for like a, a national language, right? People in a country, can they speak to one another? So you look at, uh, go out to apply for jobs, for example, and if you look at any job, I don't care whether you're applying to be a janitor or you're applying to be a, a physician somewhere, or a lawyer or something completely unrelated to any of that, one of, the, one of the most consistent requirements for those jobs is always good communication skills. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to tell somebody what you're doing or understand what it is that they're telling you to do. Whatever the case is, you've got to be able to communicate those things to other people. And I think that that uh, that ability to even just focus on one person and say something concisely, say something intelligent, say something in such a manner that it gets across what you're trying to get across. It's a great skill. Hmm. It really it, it's invaluable. It, it's it, And not having it is the glass ceiling like that. It, it, you're going to bump your head against something that you just cannot see. We started doing some work with a lot of startup companies because these startup companies, these, these founders, these entrepreneurs, they, they need to really sell their idea. They're looking for big bucks to go get, they need some investors who are going to invest in them. And uh, my, uh, the woman I work with, she's wonderful. And she has a real sense for what these uh, entrepreneurs are, are needing. And she said, she heard from uh, one of the VC people uh, that said something like this. She just sent me the quote. I thought it was really strong. There are so many fantastic, valuable ideas that don't get funded because the entrepreneur can't communicate it well. And there's so many terrible ideas that do get funded because that, that entrepreneur communicates better than the other person. The money's left on the table because someone can't be engaging, communicate their stuff with some pop, with some energy, and also with clarity. I think clarity is one of the overlooked things that people who communicate succinctly with clarity People want to listen to them. People who prevaric, you know, go all over the place and just exhaust human beings. So my son's taking a debate class and he was telling me that, and you correct me here, is like the actual words that you communicate is only like 20% of the actual communication. It's how you stand, how you present yourself, uh, what you do with your hands. And, and help me out. It, it are, do you have that breakdown? 
it's an interesting study that's been uh, that's been, to be honest, misused to some degree. And where where it's misused is when there is a difference between the words that are said and what's communicated by body language, then people side with the body and not with the words. So if I tell you, this is going to be the worst quarter of our business's life, and everyone's listening to that and going, I don't agree with the words you're saying. I'm going to side with how you're communicating what you're communicating. But when there is congruent, when the, when, when there is parallelism between my tone, what my body is doing, what my voice is doing, and what my words are saying, people, people respond to that. It's when there is disagreement between those that people go, I'm going to side with that person's voice and mannerisms. It's gas in your house that's undetected. If I'm communicating to someone and I'm not getting the results I want, I might go, but I'm saying all the right things. True, but your voice and your body and your mannerisms and your tone are undercutting that message. And there needs to be, uh, there needs to be agreement, alignment between those two things. Hmm. So I noticed you use your hands a lot. Is that one of the, I mean, walk us through the tips or tricks of how to be a successful speaker. I'd say there's two things about your hands. Number one is what you do with your hands is reflected in your voice. So this is a audio podcast. Nobody's seeing me. Nobody's going to be seeing me except uh, for those of you listening. It's Doug and Rick and I looking at each other on Zoom. Even if we weren't, even if the camera was off, I can tell you guys, I would still be moving my hands. Why? Because what I do with my hands is reflected in my voice. It's really hard to be flat and no voice when I'm moving my hands. Like I have to fight that if you don't, if you're not, you can't see me, but I'm moving my hands a lot, try to talk flat. If I move my hands, it's going to come through in my voice. So number one, just move those hands. It's going to make your voice. Everyone wants that vocal dynamism, higher highs, lower lows. It's going to come through if you move your hands. Second, and this is what I preach all the time to my clients, is that there has to be alignment between your hands and what you're saying. So a lot of people, uh, forgive me, this will be challenging only because this is an audio podcast, but what they'll, I'll work with a client and they'll go, oh yeah, I move my hands a lot. And they'll just move their hands back and forth, back and forth, almost like they've got a little drum kit that's in front of them that's hitting every other word. And they'll go, see, I move my hands a lot, huh? And I'll go, Okay, slow down, pal. Uh, Let's actually talk about moving your hands in a way that the way I always describe it is that I want you to show me what you're saying. So if you're going to talk about uh, you're going to talk about uploading something to the cloud, I'm going to have your hand sort of in a ball as if it's holding a packet of data and then it's going to go up. I want you to show me moving that thing up to the cloud. If you've got if you're going to do a slide, I want you to move your hand up and to the right and show me that slide in the air with your hands. I think of it this way. Everybody's brain, we think there's like one door on our forehead, one door on our listener's forehead, and it's labeled words. And we go, ah, I know how to get into their brain. It's by the words that I say. But in fact, there are multiple doors into the brain and the great communicators avail themselves of as many doors as possible. And so, yes, I can say our trend right now is up and to the right. And your what's called your Broca's areas and your Wernicke's areas. These are these are areas of your brain that are language processing areas of your brain. And it goes, got it, got those words. But if while I'm saying those words, I move my hand up and to the right, I'm now engaging your motor, your motor cortex, a faint bit of your motor cortex. I'm grabbing one more bit of your brain. I, as a communicator, want to enter your brain. That sounds sick and twisted. I want to enter your brain as many ways as possible, because the more ways I enter your brain, the more likely my message is to stick with you, for you to, for you to grab it and for it to stay with you. Chip and Dan Heath, their great book, Made to Stick, talks a lot about the importance of sticky messages. And I think that your delivery can is one more avenue of making that message stick in someone's brain. So use your hands to show them what you're saying. It'll help it connect better with them. Yeah, excellent. I, I love that. I actually bought a wireless headset because I'm in sales. I do a lot of work over the phone, but I bought a wireless headset so I can get up off of my rear end here by my desk <laughs> and I pace back and forth and my hands are all over the place. High returns and this and that. I put this much money in and I'm doing all these things much like you as you're talking here in, in the camera. Nobody can see you. My clients can't see me, but they can feel it. 
That's you right. Feel that over the phone. It's just like saying I can I can tell that person's smiling. I can feel their smile over the phone. You know, like you say, it's hard to wave your hands around and speak with no inflection. It's also hard to be negative about something when you're smiling and, and kind of upbeat and up off of your, you know, up on your feet and that. So I think that a lot of that, yeah, I, I buy right into that. Absolutely. A lot of my sales. And you probably get more energy by standing up. It's, 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 it's all, it's the whole package when you do that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Let's take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. Here at Stahl Realty, you are number one. I'm a realtor with HomeSmart and my job is to make sure you are satisfied. Here is what one satisfied client of Stahl Realty had to say. Rick Stahl was an awesome asset in helping our family find a home that checks all our boxes. He is patient and committed. I would recommend calling upon his services. One of my favorite mottos is making milestones memorable. Buying or selling a house can be overwhelming, but with my guidance and expertise, I can make this process as smooth as possible. I can be reached via email at stylerealty at gmail.com or text call me at 720-429-3303. I look forward to hearing from you. And now back to our show. So I noticed my daughter, she's really good at trying to, to uh, sway an argument. So whenever she tries to ask for something, she always asks for it in what what is in it for me as the other person? She's like, but dad, you would love to have some time off. So why wouldn't you want to take me over to my friend's place and drop me off for a couple hours? You can go do this and that. So does that come into the, the play anywhere? Yes. So uh, part of my business is helping people deliver well, but part of it is also coaching them on the content. And I would say what your daughter's tapping into is a content issue. And what, and I was just writing about this this morning for a class that I'm going to be offering that one of the things you've got to do is up front as soon as possible in any sort of presentation is make sure that the audience, and when I say audience, we immediately think of a hundred people, but it could be dad, it could be 10 people, give me your boss, that you're letting them know that I am trying to help you. I'm trying to help you. I am offering something good for you. Yes, I might get some benefit myself. That's not important. But every listener, doggone it, we're all selfish people, right? Nobody yep. tunes into this podcast because they're thinking, well, I just want to, you know, do these guys a fit. They're looking for something for themselves. And rightly so. We all kind of need to be in that selfish mode, play into that. And it's not a, it's not a conniving thing though. I think that's the trick. You have to recognize that you have something valuable to offer your listener. If you believe you have something valuable, that's going to help them. Doug's in sales. If he, I mean, this is sales 101, right? If you believe that you genuinely have something of value for the person who's on the other end of that call, you're going to come at that from a different standpoint than if you're thinking, all right, I just need to unload a bunch of this stuff on this person. That's going to come through whether you want it to or not. But when you are legitimately thinking, I know their needs, I know what they want to achieve. I know what's standing in the way, even if they don't know what it is. I know what those things are. And I hold in my hands the thing that I think can help them. They're going to be much more likely to listen. Is that, I mean, Doug, I'm sure you've experienced that, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The key to any sales presentation is helping the client understand that you're on their side, listening to what they have to say, and then framing everything in, in that context of this is what you need. This is what you've told me you want. Look how I can help you. Look at this, have the benefits that it has for you. And sometimes that's all the benefits the product has to offer. Sometimes it's only a select few, but you focus on what it is the client needs. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. And they feel that. They go, wow, sure. yes, yes, there's money to be made on Doug's end, but really this is going to help me. I'm going to come out on top in this. Right, right. And I've never had a client say, well, you know, I think it sounds really good for me, but if you're going to get paid for it, I'm not interested <laughs> Most people are like, yeah, this is great. I can't believe what you're doing for me. And I'm glad you get paid to do it at the same time. That's a sign of a great relationship. So what that tells me is that Doug is good at building some sort of rapport there where, and again, this is something I was writing about this, writing about this morning, is that it's really predicated on trust. Does that person trust you? Do they look at you and think, all right, is Doug trying to pull the wool over my eyes? And does Doug really understand my issues and my problems and what I'm struggling with? And does he, I think this is really important. Does Doug, is he able to communicate to me some sort of 
history of dealing with people and organizations like mine. If, if he's going, if they're going, oh my gosh, Doug has never seen an organization. Like, like he doesn't know what our problems are. They're not going to trust you. But if Doug's able to communicate, look, I've seen this before. Someone, that, that person in the line goes, oh, thank goodness. Someone understands what I'm going through. And you're going, and I, and I have something magical that can help you. That's exactly what everybody's looking for. You don't want to go to the doctor and the doctor goes, well, I've never seen this before. You want the doctor to go, I've seen this before. I can deal with this. Okay, great. Then, then they feel assured and they trust the doctor. So I noticed you just used levity. Um, I noticed that, you know, like church, the pastor always starts out with a little bit of a joke, right? Uh-huh. Where does levity come into the play? Levity to me is a little like, gosh, what's the most dangerous spice you have in your spice cabinet? Like if you use it wrong, it's just, it can be problematic. There's nothing... Well, this is a grand statement. There's really nothing worse than someone who thinks they're funny and aren't funny trying to add a lot of stuff. And so my goal, my, my, my thought is if you see people laughing, great, that means you're funny. If you don't see people laughing, don't go, well, nobody gets me, but really eventually they'll get me. They're not going to, that's never going to change. You know, ask your wife. They're not, it's it. So instead be, be really, I don't think you have to be careful about it. I think you want to bring in some levity as much as you can. I personally, I work with all sorts of big giant business leaders. I think most people take themselves way too seriously. I think we take cloud computing and WAN land and all this stuff so seriously. Let's all have a break. Now, if you're going to bring levity in, you better also bring the goods. Like you better have good skills to back it up because we all know, I mean, it's like a, the old World War II movie where the guy's like, oh yeah, Johnny, Johnny, Johnny Punchline. He was making everybody laugh, but he couldn't hold a gun and he got 20 guys killed. You don't want to be that guy. You don't want to be the guy who's just telling jokes. You want to be someone who is who brings some levity and maybe some humor, but really you also bring that meat in there and you're able to, to move that team meeting along and not let it sit in, oh, we're just joking around mode. I mean, Doug, I'm sure you know this when you get on a sales call, you start with something light. Hey, how's it going? What's going on? Maybe something funny. All right. I've been thinking about your issue and you just want somebody who can be personable and then get to the goods, get to the goods. It doesn't mean there's not place for levity within the goods, but again, if I'm thinking, I just don't want people to be bored. I'm going to bring some levity in whenever I can. Right. Right. Yeah. I sell life insurance. So levity is, is very helpful. Actually, <laughs> I mean, it's about as heavy a conversation as you can have, but at the same time, you know, there's, there's really great things to be done and that's a terrible time in somebody's life. But if you know, you've planned well and your, your family's going to be taken care of, you know, you can joke about that stuff a little bit because the person feels like, yes, this is really a really great thing that I'm doing for my family. And I think that that's really, for me, the key to a lot of these sales when people come in and they just, I hate this stuff. I don't want to talk about it, mm. but pretty soon they're laughing and we're having a nice conversation and we understand that, yeah, this is really a great thing that we're talking about. So using that to change the change the mood of the meeting, change the feeling of the meeting, uh, especially since it's a pretty dry topic. A lot mm. of people don't like it because it's just finance, it's numbers, I don't get this stuff, whatever. But but yeah, it can be uh, it can be a good experience. So yeah, absolutely, that that's important. There's benefit also to calling things out. Look, everybody, I know that everybody on this call, the last thing you want to do is talk about life insurance. I get it. You know, when I, if I'm able to call those things out, everybody, everybody goes, oh, okay. I'm not, I, I don't have to secretly think, oh, this is so boring and awful. Even the person up front is going, I know we don't want to do this, but come on, let's do it. Then it becomes a team thing. We're all in. It just feels really awkward when I'm here. We, gosh, we'd have to sit through these uh, health insurance plans, uh, the, the health insurance presentations at work. And well, now, first off, this poor human, they're coming into an organization that's all about communication. And they've got to go, you know, let me talk you through your benefits for the next 20, 21 year. And so, they, I mean, it's, that's hard to begin with. you got a bunch of people who's just judging them. We've got our score part, score cards out. But if, you, if they were just to go, hey, everybody, nobody wants to spend their lunch hour hearing about health insurance options. We get it. We're going to do our best to make this as interesting as possible and answer, you know, just bring some, some life to it and call a spade a spade. I think it makes all the difference in the world. So Jeff, I've noticed you haven't said one um or ah in this whole presentation. So how do you get rid of it? Is that one of the keys to successful speaking? What I like to do, Rick, is, is I try to not say them and then I save them all for like the last two minutes of the podcast. And I just 
pack them in there. Uh, no, I, I think this is always a big question. Ums and us, is it really the worst thing in the world? I've taught so many classes where people raise their hand. You know, I actually think it makes, makes people sound more relatable. And I just kind of nod and go, great. I, I don't know what to tell you. That's not really true. Uh, you can sound relatable and not use those. You'll be just fine. What they usually quote, they, they usually cite Elon Musk and go, he says a lot of ums and ums. And our thought was always, when you have a billion dollars and you're sending someone into space, then let's talk about your ums and us. I, I find that, yes, it's better to get rid of them only because it's, it just gums things up. It's one more it's, it's, it's what it all boils down to is cognitive load. So your audience, so our listeners today have a certain amount of cognitive load. And what that means is just the amount of weight that is put on their brains to process what we're saying. My goal as a speaker is I want that load to be as light as possible. So the content that I'm saying can take up the most space. The problem with cognitive, okay, so think about a time where you were, uh, you were in a classroom, maybe in high school, and there was a pretty girl over here, and the teacher's fly was down, and there was some uh, speaker in the back, grumbling in the back. Your cognitive load was loaded up, and so when they're trying to teach you about the history of macroeconomics, suddenly you're having a big, a big issue where you can't, you can't quite focus on what's going on, which is interesting. There's actually a, a screaming child outside my door right now, which is also adding to my cognitive load. Uh, hopefully it's mine. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know who shows up at night. And uh, if I want that cognitive load as low as possible, every time there's an um or an uh, it adds a little bit to that cognitive load. An um, an uh, uh well, sort of, uh, you know, kind of, well, we, we uh, you know, we, uh, uh, that just adds these little tiny bits onto the cognitive load. And I want those to go down. How do you deal with them? It's hard. The first thing is you, you watch a recording of yourself and you, you get merciless and you go, I'm going to do a little tick mark every time I say, um, a uh, sort of, kind of, and you add up those little tick marks and you go, okay, I recognize, I mean, it's almost like drinking. I recognize I have a problem. Okay, great. You've got a problem. And then also recognize when did I do it most often? Nobody ever goes, hi, my name is Jeff um, Davenport. When we know something well, we don't say, um. It's when we're trying to come up with that thing. So Rick asks a question and I'm sitting there. My brain is suddenly going, oh, and what I'm doing is if I say that um or uh, I'm trying to buy myself time. I'm trying to buy myself time to think of that next thing. So the trick is just replace that. Uh, I say just as if it's that easy, but you train yourself to anytime your brain wants to go, let's say, um, replace it with a pause. And at first it'll feel really awkward. There's this cognitive dissonance in our brain that says a pause that's about a quarter of a second long feels like three seconds long. It's not. Your audience isn't gonna go, wait, where'd he go? Put a pause in. When you feel yourself wanting to say, um, replace it with pauses. Now this, this you have to build on it. You can't go, oh man, I said more ums and us. Yeah, you will. It'll take some time. But over time, those will start to go away. I don't think of ums and uhs, though, in a vacuum. I think it's all part of that cognitive load thing. And I think it's all part of how can I communicate as clearly as possible? You know, what's just as dangerous as um or uh is when I'm trying to, to make a statement that should take 10 words, but I make it in 20. That's just as dangerous. It's just as much adding to that cognitive load, repeating yourself over and over again, laying the same foundation. That's the same thing. I would file all of that under bad things that add to cognitive load that make your listeners, uh, that, don't, that disallow your listeners to have the mental capacity to focus on the words that you're saying, the things that matter the most. Hmm. So would you say then that, that getting rid of ums and uhs is more a function of preparedness and being ready to say what needs to be said in a concise and clear manner? Or is it more a matter of training? Like just sitting there and saying, okay, I'm not going to say, um, I've got to cognitively like be aware of that. Right. So what, what do you think is more the case there? My answer is yes. It's both of those. Uh, I would say it is a matter of training and it is a matter of preparedness, but you can't be prepared for everything. I didn't know Doug was going to ask that question right then. We have, we didn't, we didn't map these questions out. So my brain, as you're asking that question and, and that space, that quarter of a second space comes in my, again, I want to go, uh, uh, let me think about something. You have, you can only prepare yourself so much. I think the best thing you can do though, is when you're being asked a question and you get a sense of what, so let's say you're, let's, let's put this in, in practical terms. Let's say you're in a team meeting and let's say the boss is in the room. The boss turns his gaze on you. 
And he starts to ask you a question, unless he's asking me a question. He goes, Jeff, uh, I noticed the numbers from Q2 and I'm a little concerned about where Q3 is. Okay, so right there, I'm gonna pause. I'm just gonna do a, a break breakdown. The second he says that, I hope that my brain is going, now I know what he's wanting. And he's going to talk for another 20 seconds and it won't really matter. My brain is now doing, trying to figure out what's the first sentence that's coming out of my mouth when he's done talking. So we pick back up from him. And I noticed that we're not lined up to hit Q3 numbers. Uh, what's your department going to do about that? I've recognized the same thing. And that's something I'm, I just want to have something in the chamber when it's my turn to talk. And if I can fire out with something, my brain will catch up and I can start to ride that wave. It's when the person finishes asking the question and I'm still trying to come up with what to uh, say that I stumble. So when someone's asking you a question, try to get to what the first few words of your answer are going to be as quickly as possible. It's going to help that airplane start to take off after you start speaking. That makes sense. I'm not sure that totally makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, okay. it's funny you say that because my when as I was asking that question, I was kind of thinking, sort of like the uh, the text uh, suggestions that a word processor makes, like your email makes or word makes, right? As you're typing in there, it was great too, and then they'll say, "See you today," or "Hear from you," or whatever, right? And that's kind of what your brain is doing when your boss says this. Your brain is kind of, of really processing that and then thinking ahead toward, okay, these are the things that we could we may need to say, right? Or we may need to understand or communicate. So yeah, that, that's funny you say that because that's exactly what I was saying. <laughs> when somebody is, is looking to become a better speaker, then the first steps are things like taking taking stock of how how you speak, the kinds of things you say, maybe the, the language you're using, whether you use fillers like ums or us or uh, more egregiously, in my opinion, things like, you know what I'm saying or <laughs> you knows, I hate the you know, right? You know, you know, you know. Like, no, I don't know. That's why I'm here. I need to hear it. But you tell me what you're talking about. So those are the kinds of things I think that, that really bother me. Is there a uh, something you look for that maybe says, okay, now I'm, I'm finally kind of over that hump and I'm ready to go? Or is it just a matter of comfort and just the way you feel about being in front of people? I, I think it's, it's gradual. And, and, it, and it's just, you're never done. That, that's just it. You're never done. I still speak regularly in front of big groups of people. And I'm like anybody else. I don't want to watch a video of myself speaking. And yet I try to force myself to watch that video of myself as much as I can, as I can tolerate to see what I'm doing. And there's, I, there's this one thing I do with my, I do this odd thing with my, with my elbows. I stick them in too much when I'm trying to use my hands up front. And I look, I look very small. I look a little praying mantisy, and it drives me nuts. Well, okay, I'm not going to beat myself up for it. I'm just going to work on it. I, I've got the 10,000 hours in, so I must be a master, right? Nope. There is always something to continue to improve upon. So I think if you have that, you know, what Carol Dweck's book uh, mindset about having either a fixed mindset or a growth mindset, you want to have a growth mindset. You want to say, I may not get this right, but that every time I don't get it right is an opportunity to get better and better and better, as opposed to a fixed mindset, which is what I've had most of my life, which is, I'm not good at this. I'm never going to be good at this. Why am I terrible? Well, that's not going to do anybody any good. Don't, don't cry in your beer. Just go, all right, I'm a big boy. I can grow in some things. I've actually got some momentum. I was actually better at that one thing in this one meeting. Hey, hooray, I'm going to give myself a pat on the back. You're only going to grow with both your uh, this is terrible now, your left ski and your right ski. You've got to have, yes, there was something I could have done better, and I did this better. You've got to have the encouragement as well as that critique as you go. And I think a lot of times it's hard to get that yourself. We, we, it's challenging for us to be objective, and that's why people like me exist, is, is, uh, act as a coach and step in and go, Look, let me let me uh, let me cut off some of the over critique you're doing of yourself. And let me encourage you about a couple of things. And there might be a couple of things you're doing that you haven't recognized that I can call out and coach you on in the moment. A lot of times my coaching is, all right, you got a big meeting coming up. It's me and someone on a Zoom call. You got a big meeting coming up. You have your content ready. Start walking me through it. Go. And that person starts to present and they get about a minute in and I go, okay, hey, Ted, because I'll call him Ted, whoever it is. I go, hey, Ted, uh, you're doing this thing with your hands. I want you to stop. I want you to hold your hands really, really still until you talk about quarter two performance and you put that hand up right there. Try that. And then Ted, Ted does it and Ted does it. And I can tell he's doing it really in a forced manner. And I pause. I go, okay, Ted, you didn't like doing that, did you? No, it felt awkward, didn't it? Yes. All right. I want you to do it again. 
And then I run them to do it again. And then I start to help them recognize feels a little more natural now, doesn't it? Yeah. It's more natural when I hit it this way. Great. Okay. Let's keep going. And then we go go on further through. Okay. Ted, Ooh, right there. You were talking about 20% increase and you said it like you were talking about the age of your grandma. I want you to hit it hard. So when you say 20%, I want you to pause before 20% and pause after. All right, Ted, go. Uh, This coming up year, uh, we're excited to announce that we're going to have a 20% 20% increase in revenue. Okay, did you feel that? It kind of. Okay, do it harder this time. And so I run it again and then get them to, and at first it's that awkwardness of doing what someone else is telling you to do, but eventually, and I watch it start to connect, it becomes their own thing. It's like it's like training a kid to ride a bike. At first, it's all very foreign and awkward, and then it just becomes second nature. Practice, practice, practice. There's a lot of, a lot of it is practice. The, the downside of practice is if you don't, this sounds like I'm making a play for myself. I don't mean to, if you don't have a coach and you're just practicing, you may be entrenching in yourself some bad habits. Right. Very good. So one part of like real estate, this is a real estate podcast is negotiating. And, and a lot of it is, you know, how you communicate and, you know, some people are really good at negotiating. Some people aren't. And there's this one book that I we've mentioned a few times on there on the show here is never split the difference. And it's a kind of a negotiating type book. And I, I love the book. And he talks a lot about mirroring other people, repeating the last few words of what they are under the sentence, standing tall. If they're standing tall, keeping your arms in, if they're keeping their arms in whatever it is, mirroring them and kind of communicating to them on their own level. So where does that come into play? You know, I think we've been just talking about presenting to bigger groups, but then there's smaller groups, one-on-one, one-on-two type things. Is Can you talk a little bit about that smaller setting? Yeah, I, I'm fascinated about this negotiating book. I've, I've had enough people recommend it that I know I need to read it. And it's interesting to listen to him, and I'm not questioning uh, him in the least, but everything he's saying, I would I would take exception to if you're presenting to a group of people. So let's say it is a small group of people and you're looking around and everyone is kind of small. I don't want you to go small. Like I want you to actually go big. I want, I want, I'm always telling people differentiate yourselves. I was at a big, I was at one of the, I can't name the name, one of the big giant, massive tech companies on planet earth, maybe beyond, we don't know. And I was there with a group of 10 people and I walk in and everybody's real meek and dour and they're, they're all, we're having this meeting like this and I'm sitting there going, okay, A, I'm bored and B, I know they're bored and C, why not? Someone needs to take ownership of this. Again, y'all may not believe me, but I am just a mousy introverted guy. Even today, I, I just like to keep to myself. I'd rather, I'm back row Baptist. So I'm going, All right, you do your thing. I'll, I'll be back here. And I knew in that moment I had to take some charge. I squared my shoulders. Nobody else was standing up when it came time for me to, to came time for me to speak. I, I stood up. I said, okay, everybody, these are the things we got to hit now. And I watched everybody go, all right, like, here we go. Like, this is great. Nobody was going, now we are all arm folding, sitting down people. They were dying for somebody who could show some dynamism, show some energy. Like we talked at the top of the show, talked talked about the top of the show and just add some interest to this. So I found that I find that sometimes you just need to be a little bit bigger than you might normally be. And that's going to get people to go, well, check out this guy. Now I will say if I'm in a room full of alpha dogs, my play is I'm going to be different and I'm going to be the quiet guy. And I'm not going to say a word until I know the exact right thing that's going to get people's ears. So I used to do this all the time. And I, I kind of like playing this role, everybody having the big conversation. And eventually either someone goes, okay, Jeff, what do you think? You haven't said anything or it gets real quiet. And I'll just go, I really think it's this. And if we do this, I think we'll have a better chance to succeed. And it might've been the dumbest thing in the world, but because I was not saying tons of stuff, it had import. It had, it had meaning. So I often find that I'm trying to be the different one in the room. It's a way to get a little attention and to get my voice heard. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's interesting too. I have a a similar story of a, a time when I was 
in, in my job, I work, I have eight uh, partners, right? And so these partners are people who are out and, and mingling with the public. I'm not allowed to talk about the company I work for because of the financial services industry and the way that, that it works. But there was a time when this, this gal stands up and she says, I have a problem. And everybody who does what I do stood up and gave her her business card and kind of came in on her. Well, after the meeting, I walked up to her in the hallway and said, what can I do to help you? What questions do you have? I walked her through the process and then ended up partnering with her for a couple of years on various business transactions. Actions, and I'm sure she threw everybody else's card away. So, you know, it's it, it's true. You can be different without being overbearing. And I think that, that being able to make your point to somebody is sitting there listening and, and learning what they need and then um, approaching them when it's an appropriate time and in an appropriate manner. So that that's another excellent, uh, excellent point. I think, Doug, what you're getting at is uh, not only were you different, but you zeroed in on the human being. And I think that gets lost in a lot of communication, a lot of sales, a lot of business stuff is that it's just numbers. It's just, you know, business cards going back and forth. But when you can dial into a human, there is no communication that is not human to human. We talk about mass communication. That's a, that's a canard. That's not true. It's one person watching that show on television. It's one person watching that TED talk. It's always human to human. And as often as we can bring all of our communication, I mean, this is why it's so intimidating to talk to a big group of people. I'm talking to 200 people. No, you're not. You're talking to that guy? You're talking to that woman? You're talking to that guy over there? You're talking to that guy over there? And if you can zero in and shrink it down and understand I am just a human talking to another human, the bar goes down and you can actually, even in big, big scenarios, you can actually feel that connection. You can, I've, I've felt it. It's, it's uncanny, uh, but it's possible. Wow. I could go on all night. <laughs> I, I love this. This is good. But I suppose That's we better good. wrap it up at some point here. Um, so what do you do? I mean, uh, for learning more, you, you, I think you mentioned you're a lifetime learner. Uh, what, what books are you reading right now? I try to read as many things as possible. Uh, I'm reading Lonesome Dove right now because I'm fascinated by cowboys. I don't know why I'm suddenly fascinated by cowboys, but I'm suddenly fascinated by cowboys. I love stories. I, I can't get enough stories. I just, I think that the human brain is wired for stories. I think nothing helps us grow as human beings like stories. It's proven uh, a thousand times over. So I am constantly reading. I love fiction. I love fiction and I love uh, narrative nonfiction that feels like, okay, a story is unfolding in a, a true a true scenario. But then it's all sorts of things. Like I'm starting to read books about persuasion. I read lots of books about story theory. I nerd out on story theory. Why do the certain story structures work? Why do certain story structures not work? Um, I, I'm into things you know that everybody reads. Malcolm Gladwell, uh, how to look at society a little bit differently, how to look at humans a little bit differently. I'm fascinated by all of that. I, it, really anything and anything uh, when it comes to learning and growing as a communicator, uh, one of the best things you can do is watch a bunch of talks and take notes after everyone and go, I liked when this person did this. I didn't like when they did this. This made me feel this. Wow, they used a lot of emotion here, but not much emotion over here, but more logic here. Huh? Just start. I want every, I want all of my clients to be great students of other speakers, not so they can go, we are terrible at this. I don't want anybody being a judgy type of person, but only when you're able to critique others, can you actually get better at critiquing yourself? My goal as a coach, isn't that they keep using me as a coach. My goal as a coach is that they get better at coaching themselves. Cause I can't be there for every, every meeting they have and every, every presentation they give. Wow. So where can the listeners uh, find you or, uh, hire you as a coach? Uh, if you go to thelighthousepoint.com, uh, thelighthousepoint.com, that's my website. There's all sorts of information there. You can reach out to me on my email, jeff at thelighthousepoint.com. Uh, I call it the Lighthouse Point because I've had a number of moments in my life that served as inflection points that had a lighthouse standing nearby. And I think that two things, I think everybody can become a better communicator and that's an inflection point. And I also think that great communicators are like lighthouses. They stand out amongst the rest and they communicate to others, those ships out there, how to get where they want to go and how to avoid danger. So great communicators are great lighthouses. And I want everybody, every one of my clients to be shining bright. Wow. Very good. Awesome. What do you like to do in your free time when you're not thinking about bettering yourself and, and reading nerd out books, <laughs> that sort of thing? What do you like to do just when you're on a weekend and, and kicking your heels up? 
I've got two little, I've got a wonderful wife and two little girls, a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, and uh, they, they, they consume my time. And being around them is wonderful. Uh, if I get some really good, uh, just me brain time, a lot of times that turns to creativity. I still write screenplays. I still, I'm working on some novels. I, 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 I see stories in my head as big. My daughters all have these necklaces that get in a knot and I kind of like taking that and untangling that knot for them. And I feel the same way about a story. I got a story in my head. How can I untangle that to where it hits the right structure? So I find myself noodling on those things and I'm an avid reader. I love uh, old films. I love watching old movies. I love watching old foreign movies, especially old French movies, uh, kind of a cineast nerd. Uh, but I, I, I love those things. So that's, that's what I love to do. Nice. Nice. Yeah. Anatomy of a Murder. One of my favorite movies, Jimmy Stewart, 1959, I think. I think you're right. That's great. A great movie. The folksy nature of it, plus the legal nature of it. It's just an unusual combination. And I love black and white. Well, Jeff, I think we have to end the, the show, but thank you so much for uh, coming and, and helping us learn uh, about communicating. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to talk to both of you, and I'd like to just leave your listeners encouraged and just remember that you can improve as a communicator. It's possible. Just think through it and uh, give yourself a break along the way, but constantly seek out ways to uh, improve and take every opportunity you can. Great advice. Thanks, Jeff. Appreciate your time. Thanks, guys. Doug, I have to say this is one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, I agree. I was just kind of on the edge of my seat the whole time listening to everything that Jeff had to say. It was so interesting to hear him. And this is where I really wish we had a video portion. We'll have to to work toward that because watching him in his environment where he's speaking and his arms are moving and his hands are moving, it draws you in. It's almost like a a performance, right? (laughs) Absolutely. He was very uh, enjoyable to listen to, his stories and demeanor. Uh, the, the information he brought, I, I could have let this thing run for another couple hours talking to him because there's just so much in how we present ourselves to the world and how the world reacts to that. Right, right. Well, I loved his statement on something about how there are many deals that go unfunded because the entrepreneur couldn't properly communicate what it is that they needed to say. So it was, you know, it was a lot of really fantastic ideas that don't get funded because of poor communication and a lot of really poor ideas or mediocre ideas that get funded because those people have good communication skills. It's really interesting. If you think about that, it's like, how, how much better could our world be? It's a pretty good place right now considering technology and healthcare and that, but how much better could it be if that's really the case? And, you know, not even the world, just your life, you know, is there a glass ceiling in your life that you're not you, but just in general to our listeners that, that I am some in my life too, that, that we're, we're, that we all are hitting against. And if we would just start doing some of the steps that he, that he talked about here and we could maybe break through that glass ceiling. So what were some of the things that really hit you during this interview? So he had some really interesting things that he talked about uh, as far as what his suggestions for becoming a better speaker are. And I think those are, you know, his real secrets to, to success. And, and they go from know yourself. In other words, what he was talking about specifically here is don't use the word um and um and on all these other things. And these other phrases are a little longer, like, you know, and you know what I'm saying and that kind of thing. Be aware of of the frequency with which you use those terms and then be ready to speak, know what you want to say and have a, an idea in your mind of how that's going to go so that you don't need to fill in the spaces. You don't have to say a few sentences and then go uh, and try and formulate the rest of your thought, have that all ready to kind of go. And that's kind of step one. Then think about what you're going to say, keep that ready to go. And then that number, the, the final piece that I took about that from was for watching other Uh, people speak and taking notes, seeing what you like, what you don't like, critiquing it, and then integrating some of those ideas into your own speaking habits. And I thought that was, that was all really interesting stuff. Good things to practice. Right. Totally agree. What about you, Rick? What did you take from that? I love the passion that he brought and he's really passionate about his career and speaking, coaching and helping others. And that just comes through just straight at you. Right. I mean, that is just, 
right at you, man. And and that that's good. And like he was saying, you if your body and your words don't line up, people, you know, what lean towards your body or something first. And but he is all on board, right? He's just fun to listen to. Your inventory, right? Are you a good speaker? Where are you on the spectrum, right? Some self-evaluation, the secret to anybody's success, right? And I, you know, again, I thought he brought the juice. He was just fun to listen to. And he's very encouraging too. And uh, just a great guy. He was very animate. And I really enjoyed just the, the engaging nature of the way he presents things and the presentation that he made. So yeah, very fun, really drew me in. It's funny, it's happened to me a couple of times in our podcast here where a guest has been so enthralling to me. The things they've been saying have been so interesting that I'm not thinking about what questions I want to ask. I'm thinking about what's this person going to say next? I'm anxious to hear it. Keep talking. Keep going. Like, Rick, don't ask me questions. I want to hear him. Let him speak. <laughs> you know, so it, it's fun to be in, that, in a situation like that. Doug, that was just terrific. Well, do you want to take us out of here? Yeah, absolutely. Everybody, thank you for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed Jeff's presentation as much as we did. It was uplifting. It was informative. And uh, if you are struggling in a public speaking and struggling to get your point across to people, well, give Jeff a call, shoot him an email, get on his website and see what kinds of things are on there. The first step is a small one. And in today's electronic world, it's an anonymous one. So it's very easy to get out there and take that first quick step, read on something, think about something, and then uh, figure out what your next move is going to be. So I, uh, I'm thinking about calling Jeff and asking him a few questions myself about how to tweak some of my presentation skills. So if you think that uh, you're the only one who's suffering from some of these things, don't. Definitely a lot of great people out there who just could use a few extra pushes in the right direction. And I think that'll get you where you need to be. So give Jeff a call. In the meantime, we will have another podcast lined up for you here soon. We look forward to having you back. Have a great evening. Thank you for listening to the Secret Sauce for Success show, where we find the secret ingredients for success. We all want to be successful in life, so let's break down the steps it takes to get there and learn from other people's journeys. We hope that through the stories you hear on our show, you will find success in your life.